Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you have communicated us to us through the Bible. You did not have to do that, and yet you've chosen to do that. You've chosen to reveal yourself to us. And so tonight, I pray that we would get more and more familiar with you, with your son Jesus, and what you're calling us to. God, may we be humbled by your word tonight. Expose areas in our hearts and in our lives where we are prone to wander away from you and bring us back and help us to see the way back to you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever met somebody who tried to have two girlfriends at the same time? Or, or somebody who tried to have two boyfriends at the same time, right? Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Yeah. Yeah, so it's pretty interesting. One of, one of, my, one of my favorite kinds of people is like, they're trying to talk to multiple people at the same time. Like, they're not dating anybody, but they're, like, keeping their options open. So they're talking to this person over here. They're talking to this person over here. They're trying to, like, play the field, see what's going on, see who's interested, right? And they're talking to everybody. <clears throat> now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Many, many people have convinced themselves that they can date or be with two people at the same time. It's, here's the thing. It's not possible. It's not possible. One, here's the thing. One... Thing one, and I'm just, I'm just going to say this because I'm an adult and I can kind of say this. If you're in middle school or high school in here, I highly discourage dating. I'm just going to say that. That's where I stand on dating. So I'm just going to let you know, okay? If you're, if, you're mature enough, if you're mature enough to see dating as preparing for marriage, then we can talk about dating. If dating for you is not preparing for marriage, we ain't talking about dating. So that's my first thing. But here's the thing. Okay, dating two people or trying to date two people at the same time, like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work out, right? And he, why? Just let's, let's, let's brainstorm a little bit. Why would dating two people not work out very well? Let's, let's talk about it. What you got? Well, if you give a hey, guys. Hey, hey, you, you. Shh. Somebody's talking. Let's, let's listen to Zach while he's talking. I know. Shh, 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 shh. Let's listen to Zach real quick. Zach, what you got? Yeah, yeah. So if you give all your affection to one, the other one's left out. Why else does this not work very well? Oh, okay. Yeah. So like everybody finds out that this dude is a jerk trying to date two people at the same time, or this girl is a jerk trying to date two people at the same time. Yeah. Julia? Here, say, say it louder. So the loud people in the back, like Zach Lapp, people were quiet for you. You got to be quiet for people. Anyway, Julia. It sounds like you're having commitment issues with your words. You okay? I've had English problems. It's good. Hashtag English problems. I like it. Hashtag English problems. What you got, Riley? It's expensive. It, it, it is expensive. Yes. Yes. Yes, it's definitely expensive. What else? What else you got, Sai? Girls can slap really hard. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Girls can smack really, really, really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just like, just like trying to split your attention, right, intimate attention between two people is, is impossible and definitely not recommended, right? Um, multitasking is also really hard, right? Right? So, hey, check out this video. This is why nobody should ever try to multitask ever.
The suspense is killing me. Trying to get the phone and work out at the same time. Trying to answer the phone, get off the thing, forget to turn it off. Great, great. <clears throat> so multitasking, multitasking is hard. Here's the thing. There are, you could like just look at multiple videos online of people trying to multitask and just like biffing it. Like just horrible things happen when you try to multitask. But there's something, there's something very, very interesting about multitasking, right? Like we could look at people who are multitasking or we could even look at somebody who's like being foolish and trying to like be intimate with two people at the same time. And we can like, we can laugh at them or make fun of them, which is typically what we, we do. And, and I don't condone that, right? Like we don't want to make fun of anybody. We don't want to belittle anybody. We don't want to do any of that. Um, but I think the interesting thing, especially when it comes to like multitasking fails, right? They're really funny to laugh at, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can see a little bit of ourselves in those videos, right? Because many of us, in fact, I'm going to say this, every single one of us in here tonight has struggled with a divided heart when it comes to God. We've, we've said, maybe with our mouths, I want to be totally devoted to the Lord with everything I have. I want to pour my heart out into Jesus and what he has called me to, and yet we're distracted and divided and flirting with the world at the same time. And James 4 talks about this. He talks about how our hearts are divided between Jesus and the world. And one of the things about the whole book of James is the whole book of James actually centers on and revolves around the passage that we're talking about tonight. And so throughout the book of James, James has kind of unpacked this, this image of the divided heart, right? And so you have, you have this person who asks for wisdom, right? They ask for wisdom and they don't believe that they're going to receive what it is that they're asking. They're asking God for something. They're asking God for wisdom, and yet at the same time, they're doubting. They're divided. Their heart is divided. They're unpredictable. The same person shows favoritism to the rich over the poor, right? This is the person with the divided heart, the person who has affections for the world and trying to have affections for God at the same time. But they also say and claim, I have faith, but their, their lives don't line up with that, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. The, the, this person who could claim to have faith in Jesus, and yet their, their, their lives are not transformed. Their lives actually look no different than the people around them. Or what about the, the mouth, right? In one moment, you're cursing another person, and, and in another, you're blessing God. We sang this morning, maybe if you, if you go to church at Cross Point or you go to another church on Sunday mornings, you, you sang this morning. You blessed God with your mouth, and maybe at another point today, you cursed another person. You, you condemned another person. You made fun of another person, and and, and so in that way, we, we show our divided heart in our actions, in the way that our actions are divided, and how we, we express a love for God, and yet we flirt with the world. We can't have a divided heart if we want to have a devoted heart. If you, if you genuinely want to be devoted to Jesus, truly devoted to Jesus, have a one-track mind and a heart that is pointed to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we can't have a divided heart. And so tonight, my, my prayer is, and my hope is, is as we look at James 4, that God would deal with your divided heart. Because I, I'm going to tell you something, and, I, and I'm serious, okay? We all have a divided heart. I have a divided heart. All of the leaders in here struggle with having a divided heart. 
We are all tempted to express love for the Lord with our mouths and yet with our lives flirt with, associate with, and connect with the world around us. And when I say world, I don't just mean people. I mean the, the system of sin that defines our society that we all live in, right? A heart totally devoted to God begins with surrender to God. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going we're to talk about how we can have a heart that is truly devoted to the King of Kings. That is a possibility. Every single one of us in here struggles with and has struggled with a divided heart, and yet God and His Word promises us that a devoted one is possible. It's not impossible to have a devoted heart. James is going to show us what a divided heart looks like, and he's going to show us what a devoted heart looks like. And so tonight we're going to get to see the difference of here's what it looks like to have a divided heart. Here's what, what my life is going to be like when I have a divided heart. And here's, here's what my life is going to be like when I have a devoted heart, one that is sold out on Jesus. And in James 4, we see how God can change our divided hearts into devoted ones. So let's jump in. Verse 1 through 4 say this. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Right? So James is talking to these people. He's saying, what's dividing you? What's making you hate one another? What's making you angry with one another? Why are you fighting with one another? Why are you being mean to one another? What's going on? He just talked about how people are blessing God in the Sunday morning service or whenever they're together, they're blessing God, but then they're also cursing one another. So what is, what is this causing this division and this hatred among these people? And then he says this, don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. The divided heart. That's what James is talking about in these four verses. Don't they come from your passions that are waging war within you? Right? And so he's, he's talking about people who are desiring something, wanting something, but can't get it. And so they're, they're, they're hating one another. He, these, these people aren't actually killing one another. James is purposely exaggerating, right? Because James would have been familiar with the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus, what does Jesus talk about when it relates to murder? He says in Matthew 5 that those who are, if you are angry with your brother or sister in a condemning way, you've already committed murder against that person in your heart. So if you've ever had hateful thoughts or condemning thoughts or mean thoughts toward another person, Jesus would actually say that you're murdering them in your heart. And so you've broken that commandment in the Old Testament that says, don't murder, don't kill. Because you've already killed them internally. And so James is kind of using and borrowing that same language to talk about these, these, these kind of fights and, and, and ways that the people have divided and gotten into it with each other. And there's division among this people, right? We, we as a group right now, we are supposed to be a unified group, okay? We're here. We're gathered together. We gather faithfully on Sunday nights to worship Jesus together, right? And we're, we're supposed to all be on the same team. But you're going to leave tonight, and you're going to go into school tomorrow morning, and guess what? We're not all going to be on the same team. This person's going to go into this friend group, and this person's going to go into this friend group, and this person's going to be mad at this friend group because they said this about me or my friend, and so I'm going to be angry at them. right? But we're here. We're supposed to be on the same team. Because the mission and what God has called us to do is far bigger 
than anything else this world has to offer. And so even though we, we're different, right, we're not all called to look the same, be the same, like the same stuff, we're not even called to all hang out with the same people, right? God has strategically placed each of you in different friend groups, maybe even for a reason. But you can pray for one another as each of you are trying to fulfill the mission of God in that friend group, to see that friend group come to faith in Jesus, to see them come here, get involved in another church, because here's the deal. You cannot have a devoted heart to Jesus unless you're around other people who are devoted to him consistently. And here's why. Because we all get distracted and we all struggle with a divided heart. And so we need people surrounding us with devoted hearts to point us back to where we need to be. And the divided heart is, is, is really deceiving. Go ahead and hit the next slide there. But we see kind of these four things playing out in this passage, right? We see that the divided heart is the fuel for conflict. Somebody whose passions are waging war within them. Somebody who wants to be close to God and yet close to sin, close to the world. That heart, those kind of desires are going to be a fuel for conflict with other people. Because here's the deal. When you and I, when we love the world, we want the things of the world. Which means this. We want the other possessions and the other things that friends have that people have that we're jealous over. And so we get jealous over them. We begin to, to create and to have feelings of bitterness and anger toward that person. And as we have growing feelings of bitterness and anger toward that person, this is just like the battleground and the, and the, and the, and the playground of where conflict can happen. Right? But it's fuel for conflict, not just with myself, or not just with others, but also with myself, right? Look at what James says in verse 2. He says, don't, it's your passions that are waging war within you. We, each of us, have conflicting passions, conflicting desires in us. Here's a, here's, a, here's a very, very true thought that if you grasp this and you understand this, you become a very, very, very close to a deep love for Jesus. And it's this. If, if you can genuinely realize how much you actually love your sin, if you can admit how much you actually love your sin, and how much of an influence your own desires for things that take you away from Jesus have over you, that's going to put you so close to Christ. Because what you're going to see is when we realize that we love our sin and we have these passions that are fighting within us, we have a deep, deep desire to know and love God, but we also have a deep, deep desire to cuddle up next to the world and to cuddle up next to sin and to take our comfort and our security from sin. If we can realize that, then we, we, we see how much we need Jesus. I think one of the issues with um, students and, and, and adults in this community is we've forgotten our need for Christ, our need for him, that we desperately need him every single day, and if we do not have him every single day, we are lost, desperately lost. And James 4 is going to remind us of what a desperation in our relationship with Jesus looks like. Right? But a divided heart isn't just fuel for conflict. It's, it's, this, it's this searching and searching and searching for satisfaction. Right, the, the divided heart is never satisfied. It's never pleased. It's never full. Right? It's like uh, going to a movie theater and eating popcorn, and it tastes so good, but you know you're never going to get full off of that popcorn. It's never going to satisfy. You're always just going to want more and more and more and more, and you're going to eat that salt, and you're going to want more drink and more drink and more drink and more drink, and you're never satisfied over and over again. You just eat and eat and eat and eat, and you're never filled. The divided heart that's chasing to be filled 
by the things of this world is a heart that will never be filled. It will never be satisfied. And maybe some of you have experienced that. You know, it's, 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 uh, video games are a very fascinating thing for me. I, th- I think they're absolutely fascinating. I play video games. I've talked about this a little bit. But one of the interesting things about video games is you're never actually finished. You ne- never actually finish it anymore. Because the moment you might finish it, there's an update. And then it's like the game starts all over again. Or, you know, in, in a game that I like to play, the moment that you level up, you can just start over again. And then on and on and on we go. And you, and you never actually get full. You never get fulfilled. You never get what you want to get out of it. You never actually succeed because you're always working to succeed. We, we do that in life, don't we? And so we get really, really close to this friend group thinking that this friend group is going to be our fulfillment and our meaning. But then we're betrayed and we're devastated. Or we, we, we think that this person, right, who's the opposite gender, they're going to give us some sort of fulfillment or meaning, right? That, that if we're dating somebody, we're going to have this new status in the eyes of other people. And that once we have that status, like, like nobody will be able to touch us. But then we do something dumb or the other person hurts our feelings. And so the relationship ends and we're left empty again. Or maybe you think you're going to find it in your family and, and mom or dad might work too much and you never get to see them and you're always hungry to spend more time with family but family just never seems to want to spend time with you. And you're empty. When we put more stock in what the world has to offer than what Christ has to offer, we're going to come up empty-handed every single time. You might think that you, you, you come to, to hype on a, on a Sunday night or to church on a Sunday morning and think that that's going to fill you. And I hope it does. I hope that, that you get something out of these times. That's why we do them. But if hype is not pointing you to Jesus, if church is not pointing you to Jesus, we're here to point you somewhere else. The Bible is only as powerful as what it's pointing us to, and the Bible is pointing us over and over and over again to the person of Christ. And so it's him who we love, and it's him who we cherish, and it's him who we seek after and pursue with every single thing that we have. But you see, one of the interesting things in the, in the battle for um, satisfaction, to, to, to have joy, to be filled, is that we start to compromise, don't we? I remember when I was in fifth grade, uh, there was a program called D.A.R.E. I don't know if it still exists. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so D.A.R.E., D.A.R.E., right? This, 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 it's, it's, you know, it, it's... Basically, when I went through D.A.R.E. in the fifth grade, I made a commitment to never do drugs. Never. And the next year in sixth grade on my 12th birthday, I tried drugs for the first time. I, I compromised. Something that a line that I said, I made a commitment, that I'm never going to cross this line, ever. It's not going to happen. But then I began to believe a lie that if I, well, maybe if I cross this line a little bit, then I'll be full. And then what happened is I crossed the line and then I drew another one. I'm never going to cross this line. But then I compromised again and I, I crossed it. And again and again and again and again. And all of a sudden I'm 18 years old and I look back at my life and I see that all of these small compromises over and over and over again have led me so far away from where I wanted to be. And my chase, my, my chasing to be filled always, always left me empty. And the interesting thing is this, is when I was 18 years old, looking back at my life, I was more empty than I was the first time I compromised. And so maybe that line for you is, I'm not going to 
kiss somebody until I get married. But then you compromise. And it's, I'm not going to do this. And then you compromise. And all of a sudden, you're too far gone in your opinion. And you're more empty than you were when you started. Right? When we're, when we're searching for satisfaction in the world with our divided heart, when, we're, when we, we, we want to be devoted to Jesus, but we, we're, we're attracted to the world and we try to flirt with the world and its values and what it tells us to love, we start looking for happiness and only finding misery. And when we find misery, we keep going back to the world like it's a well and we're going to pull up water. And, and, and every time we try to pull up water, it's empty. Every single time we can't get full. But a divided heart is also looking to God for gain. James 4 talks about asking God for something. You, you don't have it because you don't ask for it. That's what James is saying. You don't have unity because you're not asking God for unity. You don't have a community that loves Jesus because you're not asking for a community that loves Jesus. But then when you do, you're asking with wrong motives. You're asking with a wrong desire. You want it for your own pleasure. You don't want to glorify God. You don't want to make God known. You don't want to make God famous. You want to make yourself famous. You want to make yourself known. You want to spread your own kingdom, your own influence, your own power. The divided heart starts to use God as this vending machine for its own gain rather than seeing God as, as, as the one to be worshipped and followed with every single thing that they have. And the divided heart also longs to be a friend of the world, to be so closely associated with the world that you become friends with it. Some, here's the thing. Some of you are so close to the world, I couldn't even recognize you from a Christian or a non-Christian. There's nothing setting you apart. There's nothing making you look different. You're so close to the world, you're so close to a life of sin that it's consumed you, it's taken over you. And your divided heart isn't a divided heart anymore. It's a, it's a devoted heart, but it's no longer devoted to the things of God. It's devoted to the things of this world. And I pray and I hope that as we look at James 4, that we would see that God is calling us back to himself tonight to, to confess where we've been divided and to, and to run to him and to cling to him and to commit ourselves to him. Look at verse 5. It says this, Or do you think it's without reason that the scriptures say, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How many of you guys have ever heard the, the phrase, like, God is jealous? God is jealous. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Now, you can be honest. This is a place where you can be honest. Does it sound weird to hear that God is jealous? Is that strange to you? Like, what do you think of when you think of jealousy? Sin? Okay, yeah, yeah. What else? Coveting? Yeah, like wanting something that somebody else has. So, so sin, coveting. Like, for me, every time I think of jealous, I think of, like, the, the over-controlling boyfriend that won't let his girlfriend, like, talk to any other dude, right? Like, ever. Right? And so, and so, and so... Like, when I think of jealous, I'm like, well, how is God jealous? What does that mean? What does that even look like? But the Bible is clear. God is jealous. And here's what that means. The jealousy of God is, is a demand on God's behalf. So God makes a demand that he deserves 
your allegiance, all of your allegiance. God deserves a devoted heart. Here's a perfect example of how this works out. In August of 2014, I made a commitment to a woman to never, ever, ever, ever betray her and to be with her until we die. Her name is Sarah, and she is wicked awesome, okay? But I made a commitment to her. And we, we, have, we share this mutual covenant is what it's, it's called. It's a, a sacred agreement between us and God that we will be fully committed to each other. I will not have a divided heart when it comes to another woman. I will have a devoted heart to my wife and my wife only. And so Sarah is jealous for me. Sarah is jealous for me because Sarah demands, and my relationship with Sarah demands, that all of my affection, all of my attention, all of my allegiance is directed toward her and not somebody else. Why? Because she is my bride. She is my wife. It's because of who she is that I must be devoted to her. In the same way, we have a heavenly father in God. He's your creator. Let me ask you something. Um, if I was to make a painting, right? If I was to just take this and, and to make a painting, would that painting belong to you? Or would it belong to me? It would belong to me. Why? Because I, I made it, right? If I built a car from the ground up, whose car is it? Right, no brainer. It's mine. Why? I made it. God made you. He made you. He crafted you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He designed the uniqueness of you as a person down to your fingerprints. Think about that. Every molecule in your body has been uniquely structured for you. And God has made you that way for a reason. Who owns you? Your creator owns you. You do not own you. You see, the interesting thing about Genesis 3 is Genesis 3 was walking away from the owner. It was walking away from God. It was making this decision that God cannot declare what's good and evil anymore. I, myself, me, I want the power to declare what is good and what is not good on my own. I want to set the terms of what's good and what's not good. And that act of rebellion was, was a turning away from being under God's rule. And what Jesus does is we've, we've walked away from God and his rule. Now, now, God deserves our allegiance. He deserves our affection, and that's why there's punishment for those who rebel against him, because he's creator. He's entitled to that, right? He's entitled to that. There's a certain, like, you do not run away from your parents. It's actually against the law for you to run away from your parents. Why? Because your parents are entitled to you because you, you belong to them in a way. You're theirs. So you can't just run away. You can't just be like, ah, I don't want to be your kid anymore. Bye. Right? Like it doesn't work that way. And so in the, in the same way, we as, as, as we as the people that God has made, we've, we've turned against him. We've rebelled against him. And Jesus has made a way for, me, for us to come back to him. And here's the thing. We do not deserve to come back to him, right? If I was to come up to you and spit in your face, like, would you be my friend? No. You would want to spit in my face too. But you know what I'm saying? Like you, I, I would not be an easy friend if I just like hocked a giant green loogie in your face. It's just no. Exactly. See, now you're, now you're, it's disrespectful, right? Listen, what Jesus allows us to do is Jesus allows us to approach a God that over and over and over again, we've, we've spit in his face. And Jesus allows us to approach him. And God's jealousy over us as his people, if we are Christians, God is jealous for us. He wants our affection. He wants our attention. He wants our allegiance. He wants our commitment. 
all of us. God doesn't just want half of your heart. He wants all of you. Every single desire in your mind and in your heart, God wants it. Every single minute of your day, God wants it. He's not a jealous girlfriend. He's a loving father. He's a loving father. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. He's, he's calling you into the light so that your heart is no longer divided, so that your passions are no longer waging war. He wants all of you. And the greater grace that he's talking about here, I love this. It says, he gives greater grace. God demands your allegiance, right? Now, raise your hand if it's really hard to give God your allegiance and your attention every minute of the day. It's hard, right? Here's the grace of God. The grace of God demands your attention and then gives you everything you need to give him your attention. And so God gives you what he demands of you. Everything you need to actually give your allegiance and your attention to God, God has given to you in Jesus. And so God didn't just, God didn't just give you the checkbook. He wrote the check for you. He cashed it for you. And he gave you the, what's in return. He gave you the gift that that check represents. Everything that God wants of you, he's given you the ability to do it. And so God has actually given you the ability to give your attention to him. Now, now track with me on this for just a minute. Here's what this means. Your ability to give all of your attention to Jesus is actually related to your need for Jesus. The more we realize that we need Jesus, the, 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 the better position we are in to receive what he has for us. Verses 7 through 10 give us a picture of what a heart devoted to God looks like. I want you to think about your own life as we read these verses. And I want you to see if your life looks like this, if your time looks like this, if your attention looks like this. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. I had a moment where I got to experience the truth of this verse uh, two weeks ago, or yeah, a week ago. On Saturday night at ice camp, there were quite a few students that I got to see respond in tears to what God had kind of pressed on their hearts. Some of those students are in this room where as they heard the word of God proclaimed, as they heard the truth of the gospel, as they heard what Christ had called them to do, they responded by getting on their knees in tears. There was grief in their life that wasn't there before. And in that moment, they experienced a taste of what a devoted heart looked like, right? A devoted heart is an attitude of submission. You'll see it up here on the screen. A devoted heart is resistance to evil. A devoted heart is longing to associate yourselves with God. A devoted heart is desire for purity to be pure, to be clean, to be spotless, to walk in the light. The devoted heart has grief over their sin. That's what, that's what James is talking about. He's talking about 
Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable, mourn, weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. That, that, that sadness that James is talking about is a sadness over our sin, a sadness over the things in our life that are taking our attention away from God, a sadness over that desire in our heart to flirt with the world when we've committed ourselves to the king. That's the mourning that James is talking about here. I've had the opportunity to pastor in this community for the past three years. I've been around people in this community for seven. I've lived in this community for five. I really think the problem with Eureka and the problem with the people here is that we are a people with divided affections that are competing for our joy in Jesus. We have a divided heart. We're distracted. Some of you love volleyball way more than you love Jesus. Some of you love baseball more than you love Jesus. Some of you love school and your grades more than you love Jesus. Some of you love football and basketball more than you love Jesus. Some of you love your friends and your family more than you love Jesus. Some of you love your video games more than you love Jesus. You're distracted. You're divided. And James says it starts with submission. It starts with it, with. with with a God-given attitude of placing ourselves under the authority of a loving Father who wants the best for us and wants to bring us to Christ. Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will exalt you. Finn, can I get the next slide? We will begin to contribute to changing this community when we humble ourselves before God and trust in His promise to lift us up. Eureka will look different when students and adults are grieving over their sin. Eureka will look different if we approach our day with an attitude of submission before God. Eureka will look different when we put our, our flag in the ground and we take a stand against evil. And we don't tolerate it anymore. Eureka will look different when, when each of us has a longing, a longing to be on our knees in relationship with God. Eureka will change if you and me experience deep grief over our sin and yet deep comfort in the promise that if we humble ourselves before God, he will lift you up. He will exalt you. He will put you in a position that is higher than anything you could ever understand or imagine. And that position is next to him. It's with him. You see, the beautiful thing about how God lifts us up is he lifts us up and lifts us in. He brings us close. That the relationship that was once impossible because of our sin has been dealt with through Jesus. And now we can approach our Savior and our King on His throne and not be afraid and not be condemned and not be judged, but be welcomed in and sent out. And it starts with humbling ourselves before God, placing ourselves before God, recognizing that He is God and we are not. Right now you'll see Van passing around some papers. They'll get to you. Don't worry about them. What I, here's, here's what I want to do. I, every single one of us in here has a divided heart. And yet God is calling each of us tonight to have a devoted heart. And he's promised that he will give you everything you need to help you devote yourself to him. And he will give it to you in his son and in his spirit. And so what I would love was we're, we're going to take about 10 minutes, okay? 
and we're going to spread out throughout the room. Van, can you bring some of those up here? We're going to spread out throughout the room. There are pens in the back, but there's just a half sheet of paper, um, and on that are just some, some things to kind of prompt you. Here's the thing. If, if you just want to do business with God and spend some time with the Lord on your own and you don't want to do anything that's on the paper, that's fine. But if you approach like a, a quiet time before God and you're like, I have no idea how to use this space, that's what that sheet is for. It's just there to guide you, to walk you through some things that you can do, to reflect on the scriptures, to reflect on the word, to reflect on what God has communicated to you, you tonight. And, and here's the thing. This is a space for you to respond to what God is calling you to do through his word. Maybe God's calling you to do something, or, or maybe he's calling you to believe something different that you haven't believed before. Okay, and so what I want you to do and here in about like at one minute, is we're going to spread out throughout the room, okay? I'm going to have some leaders walking around, so if you guys are talking to each other or, or goofing off, this is not a space for that, okay? You can goof off in a little bit, but we're just going to take some, ten, some time in ten, for 10 minutes and just get quiet everybody before the Lord. Does everybody have a piece of paper? Is everybody good? Sweet. You guys can spread out. Van, can you play like some worship tunes or something? Thank you, man. And while you guys are spreading out, I'm going to pray. So we will start this quiet time off with some prayer. And then uh, you can continue in that spirit of prayer as you're spending time alone with Jesus tonight. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you have opened our eyes to see who we truly are. God, that in Christ we, we can see the areas of our heart that are divided. And so, Lord, tonight as we enter into this space of quiet time before you, uh, speak to us. Help us to hear from you. Help us to hear from you through your word, through your spirit. Um, God, if there's a student in here who's struggling with something and needs to speak to a leader, I pray that they would, they would use this space to do that, that we would, um, that leaders would be open to those conversations and that you would give us wisdom as we continue to walk together as a family. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.